0: Hello and welcome to the official podcast of the Australian Securities and Investments Commission. On today's episode, we'll be discussing ASIC's Regulatory Guide on Risk Management Systems. My name is Tessa Loftus and with me this time around is Senior Manager of Investment Managers and Superannuation at ASIC, Tim Walker. Tim, good morning. Morning, Tessa. So, we're talking about risk management and specifically ASIC's fairly new Regulatory Guide 259 on Risk Management Systems for Responsible Entities. Can you tell me a little about it? What is the intention of this guide?
1: It's a requirement of uh, the licence for responsible entities to have adequate risk management systems in place. Um, RG259 intends to establish a benchmark, a basic benchmark for the industry where previously there's been little industry guidance. Um, RG259 sets out what ASIC's expectations are for responsible entities to comply with this important obligation. We think it will lift standards and mitigate against the possibilities of failure and investor losses. In turn this will help to strengthen the funds management industry and improve investor confidence. So we think it should be a win-win for investors and industry.
0: The Risk Management Guide was introduced about nine months ago, is that right?
1: Yeah, that's right Tessa, about nine months. And since then we've been running a number of presentations to industry and the feedback has been pretty positive.
0: And what kind of feedback have you had?
1: Compliance managers and risk managers are finding it useful to help guide their discussions with their boards about what they need to do to have an effective risk management system in place. We've also had feedback that's very helpful in clarifying what ASIC's expectations are. Basically, we view the guide as good business practice that will help responsible entities be more resilient and adaptable. The guide itself is based on extensive consultation we've had with industry over a number of years, so we think compliance with the guide will be quite easy for most responsible entities.
0: Looking at what is covered in the guide, it recommends that responsible entities have clearly explained roles and responsibilities, but it doesn't uh, require responsible entities to have a designated risk management function, which is what APRA guidance calls for. Uh, Why the difference, and who do you expect to be responsible for overseeing risk management in a responsible entity?
1: Well, it really depends on the nature, size and complexity of the business involved. When developing the guide, we took a principle-based approach. We wanted to avoid being too prescriptive and we also need to accommodate many REs of different sizes and complexity. Some REs do have dedicated risk officers, others have appointed a director to oversee the risk management functions. Others have asked an existing committee such as a risk or compliance committee to have oversight. Our view is that any of these arrangements are fine, so long as the RE has clearly defined roles and responsibility. The Board also needs to understand that they are the ones who have ultimate responsibility for ensuring that the RE complies with their obligations. In other words, it's important that boards and management in responsible entities think carefully about what risk management approach is needed for their organisation. The key is that risk management is fit for purpose.
0: ASIC obviously wants to see responsible entities doing a risk appetite statement, running a risk register or doing risk reporting. Is there a template or a specific format required by RG259 for this?
1: No. Because of the diverse range of REs we regulate, we've intentionally allowed flexibility and avoided mandating a specific approach. It's far more important to focus on substance rather than form. The risk appetite statement should outline the main strategic risks that may affect the business's ability to achieve its objectives and the acceptable tolerances for these risks. While the risk register should take into account all material risks, they are not expected to be a shopping list for all possible risks. We've provided some examples in the appendix to the RG to assist in this process, but it should be remembered that this is not an exhaustive list that it should be there to assist REs in in developing their risk registers. In terms of risk reporting, it's important that there are documented processes for this to occur and the reporting is happening at regular intervals. We think recording the risk appetite statement and material risks helps responsible entities ensure that they have a robust risk management system in place. It also helps demonstrate that there are adequate risk management systems if questions are asked about the responsible entity's compliance with its legal obligations.
0: And what sort of stress testing should responsible entities be conducting?
1: Once again, Tessa, we've avoided being too prescriptive. It depends on the nature, size and complexity of the business. We view the management of liquidity risk to be an imperative responsibility. So what we've said with respect to stress testing for liquidity risk is it should be done at least annually. However, in reality in many cases it will be done more regularly. REs must consider what type of assets they have in their portfolio, how liquid these assets are and then consider what financial obligations they need to satisfy, including to satisfy investor redemptions. They then need to tailor their stress testing to suit these specific requirements. It should be noted that there are many tools available in the market now to assist with stress testing.
0: So we've been talking about the obligations for responsible entities, but what about wholesale funds and platforms? Do they need to comply with this guide?
1: Well, the guide is specifically directed for responsible entities, but we think it might be helpful for wholesale managers as well, as well as those who operate investor-directed portfolio services or platform services. After all, the requirement to have adequate risk management systems is a requirement for all holders of Australian financial services licences.
0: I notice that as well as outlining requirements, the guide includes best practice guidance. Who do you expect to use that and why is it important that that's included?
1: The requirements within the guide establish a basic benchmark for industry. But obviously we also want to support REs who want to operate at a level above the minimum. For these REs we have included some additional non-mandatory good practice guidance. That being said, we also encourage REs to consider good practice guidance aspects which may suit their business. Some items such as publicly disclosing key aspects of the risk management system and implementing additional compliance procedures will not have significant cost implications and may be able to be introduced quite simply.
0: So let's move off regulated obligations for a moment and talk about another key issue, culture. How important would you say culture is to risk management?
1: We consider culture to be crucial to the effectiveness of any compliance arrangements including risk management and it requires a top-down approach. So essentially we mean that the board should be leading this discussion. An effective compliance culture may look different at different organisations, but some of the things we might expect to see include communicating with staff about the importance of compliance, dedicating sufficient resources to compliance, discouraging breaches through adequate consequence management, having a supported whistleblower process, and implementing remuneration policies that are aligned with and support proper compliance.
0: So the facilitative uh, approach to this compli- to compliance with this guide ends in March. What messages do you have for responsible entities who think they won't meet their compliance by then?
1: Well, March 2018 is just around the corner. We expect REs to be making genuine efforts to ensure that their risk management systems meet ASIC's expectations and be making any necessary changes to, to ensure this takes place. When we get to March or April, If there are any REs that find they do not comply with their obligations to have adequate risk management systems, then they should breach report to us. Any approach to breach reporting is likely to to depend on whether an RE has a viable plan to move towards compliance. And it's important to remember that we take a different approach to uh, compliance issues when they're brought to our attention through breach reporting than through other means.
0: And are you planning on performing specific reviews on risk management across the funds management industry from March?
1: Yeah. After March 2018, we do propose to review responsible entities' compliance with their obligations. We're undertaking reviews, and we'll be looking to see whether the risk management systems are not just documents, but are entrenched into the business.
0: Thanks very much for your time, Tim. Thanks, Tessa. We'll be back with another episode of the ASIC podcast very shortly.